Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Hancock, the chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group. And today we're going to have a fascinating topic. It's a topic that goes right back to something we came up with a number of years ago. It's called youism or hashtag youism, if you like. Now, in putting together this, uh, this presentation for today, I really thought, okay, where's an iconic photo of the type of people that are in the world today? And I, I found this guy on the left here, sorry, on the right. Um, and this guy, you know, the strong, muscly, more Viking type. And, uh, you know, if Corpus Fissa was on the call, I'd say, you know, this guy looks exactly like him. But, uh, you know, this is, this is the, the look at the moment as we have it in 2022. This is the expression of self. And yet next to him, I found a photo of my great-great-grandfather from about 1900. And guess what? It's the same look, so, <laughs> the same beard, essentially. Now, uh, my great-great-grandfather might have a few more pounds on him than, than the guy in, in the stock photo here. But, uh, but definitely, that's, uh, it's interesting. And also, for those of you that are not quite awake yet, you'll notice a slight error on the page, which I thought was funny and I decided not to fix. But what is youism about? Let's have a look and jump straight into this. Going back to 2015, Lundy and I ran a series of events called Trend 2020. We did it in uh, 15 countries around the world. I don't think any of you on this call was uh, necessarily in our ecosystem at that point of time that I recall anyway. And so... Uh, this photo here was taken, I think, from the, the Singapore uh, Trend 2020. So they were, they were big, big groups of people, normally one to 300, depending on where we were around the world. And, and we had ourselves, we had uh, uh, three other speakers that, that traveled with us for many of the trips. And we talked about the trends that were going to be on the planet for the next five years. And it was fascinating because... Um, one of the, the people we had there was a guy called Scott Cundall, and Scott Cundall was um, was an uh, alternative currency expert, and he was really talking about Bitcoin. And if you've been following uh, you know, the, the currencies over the last few years, you'll find that a lot of what Scott spoke about was um, had come to pass in the last few years. But in putting together the, the information that we shared, for trend 2020 you know five years ago or seven years ago as it is now so it's seven years ago from the recording of this because it's way past 2020 uh one of the things that we we focused on was exactly what is the trends that are going to be around us in 2020 and we looked at them from all sorts of things from artificial intelligence from software from uh, alternative currencies to globalization uh, we didn't cover the pandemic, that's for sure. But uh, from there, we realized that the biggest actual uh, 2015, three years before you joined, Ian, that's quite correct. Um, we found that the biggest actual trend was something that we termed youism. So youism is essentially uh, something that we've seen not only become the biggest trend on the planet, but has also really been taking over the way in which business is being done around the world at the moment. Let's jump into that. So what is hashtag youism? Well, in broad terms, it's customization. It's having options for people, but we always had options for people. But 
This is about the mixing and matching of those options. It's about the true ability to actually customize uh, your offering for people. It's about the ability to be flexible in your offerings and to have empathy and be able to float as people float in their lives. And I've got a picture of BMW there because um, I really found last year, I think it was uh, last year in January, we decided to buy a car. We hadn't had a car for at least since 2015. Uh, we sold our last two cars in 2015. Landy sold hers, I sold mine. Uh, because we were just traveling so much, they were just sitting there. I mean, we drove her car two months a year. We drove my car four weeks a year. So, um, you know, it just wasn't worthwhile having. But when we sold the car, we went through that process of really, and I've got to tell you that we learned this from actually from a client of ours in Cape Town who also sold her car, but she was totally Cape Town based. And she said by the time she paid for her car and did all the maintenance and the licensing and everything, it was cheaper for her to use Uber. And it was fascinating because we tested Uber versus hire cars versus the cost of owning a car. And I can honestly tell you that, uh, you know, price-wise, it's not really worth owning a car. But there we go. In 2021, we decide, Mike decides, Landy didn't care that he wants to buy a car again. So we had discussions about the types of cars. And I, you know, I've had three BMWs in a row, so I wanted the fourth. So, um, so Landy didn't really care. She's not that, that attached to cars. So... I went on to the BMW website and I can tell you that BMW and Mercedes-Benz absolutely get and understand youism in terms of what I'm talking about on this particular call in the 21st century. You can fully customize your vehicle. You can have different types of wheels, different types of lights, different types of wing mirrors, different types of internal lighting, different types of sound systems. Um, Obviously, different shapes, colors, uh, different setups inside, different types of leather, non-leather, leather in the front, not leather in the back, luggage space, hooks, you know, nets, sunroofs, you name it. And they give you all of those options and you just pick what you want and then it will come up and give you a price of what you want. And then you can take things out and see how that affects it. That's exactly what I'm talking about, which is what we were speaking about in 2015 when we got into the customization and cloned the word youism. So my question to people listening and watching on the call today is, are you and is your business truly embracing this? Because this is really speaking what your customers want. Now, I understand that if you're a small business, if you're a one-man band or something like that, one-woman band, that you can't necessarily be all things to all people. But is your product offering broad enough to give people the options to play with you in different ways? Or is it, you know, you've, we've got one size and the color is black, the Henry Ford model. And if you don't like that, well, you can't do business with me. And I think now is... Um, a time whereby my question, the reason for, for putting this in our call this week is to get you to think about whether this is something you really want to do, because it's becoming a very black and white decision. And I think halfway houses are creating confusion. So if you look at, for instance, a restaurant that serves Thai food, you know, you're probably not going to go in there and find a Chateaubriand or a cream brulee. 
and nor should you, because that's going to create massive confusion. But then on the other hand, you've got fusion restaurants, which allow people to have a little bit of everything, whether it be from the east, from the west, from the north or from the south, if you like, fish, vegetarian, vegan, all sorts of options. And uh, it's fascinating because when you look at the way people need to customize today, especially in things like diets, and I know very few people listening to this will be in the, the F&B business, but diets is just representative of how we see youism on the planet at the moment. You know, because of having COVID last year, Lundy's basically um, vegetarian, but she eats carbs. But I try and avoid carbs at least six days a week. So, you know, we're staying at a guest house at the moment. This is being broadcast live from somewhere in the middle of the Western Cape in South Africa. Um, and so from that aspect, even this morning, Lundy's going, well, you would think that they could make a plan because they know my dietary requirements instead of coming and asking me every morning if I'm finally going to eat meat. So, you know, so it's strange because they're sort of saying to her every morning now, um, okay, so you're vegetarian, but would you like to try our chili? Because our chili is really good. And, you know, it's beans and minced meat. She's now I'm vegetarian. Whereas I find for me, I'm going, I'm trying to avoid carbs, but this morning they give me the chili, which has got beans in it, which is a carb. So it's having that awareness around your customers these days that is so much more. These other um, morning global intelligence updates that uh, we did a number of months ago, I shared with you the two different customer models of what customers are looking for in the world today. But I have to tell you from where we are right now, customization in your products and services is something that you need to address. Um, yesterday, we were quoting on a corporate job. And in that corporate job, they said to us, can you guys do one of these eight things? And we were lucky enough to come back and said, we can do three of those eight things. So you choose which of the three do you want? But this is how people are saying at the moment, they're not bringing in experts and saying, I need an expert who can solve my, you know, uh, leadership problem. They're saying, I've got leadership, I've got team, I've got change management, I've got resilience, I've got all these issues, which broadly now, I'm going to come under leadership, you need to solve those for me. So first question for you today, and maybe let's go to the chat. Do you feel that you are customized enough? Do you feel that you are allowing youism to uh, have its place in your business so people can plug and play with you in different ways? I have the chat open, so I'll be interested to see just a simple yes or a no or a, or a question mark or something to consider or something like that just before we move on. So let's see what we get back from people now. I'd have to say that, you know, these, uh, you know, BMW and Mercedes are, are doing, you know, obviously have a lot more budget than what we have as smaller business people. But already I'm seeing a couple of people coming back here, Linda and Ian with yes, um, we have there. And that's that's great. And uh, if you're not doing this, if this is something that, you know, you haven't thought about, uh, Rowan's saying I can customize about 80 percent. That's, I think, the right answer. I mean, if you look at if you look at BMW, I mean, you're still buying a car and you're buying a high performance motor vehicle, but you can customize it relatively. I mean, obviously, 
old school customization is do you want the one series the two series the three series that's a customization in itself but now it's the nuances that are customizable and i think that's where the real point is here um ian says individual strategies in coaching and mentoring very much so um you know it's not a one size fits all in the circle of excellence we have that circle of excellence uh compass that we work to but we adapt that to every single person in a different way philippe says yes for d2 design i'm not too sure with cable stop yeah cable stop is uh very much a product and it's very much a like it or not but that's okay that's a polarizing product so i think where the problem lies for us is when we try and sit in the middle where we're going to try and adapt a product like cable stop because we're going to try and make it fit a client that's where we run into problems and i see this in the speaking world all the time because speakers have had a tough two years well it's not just the last two years it's been for a long time the client says oh by the way can you do such and such and they go oh yes i can do that but they actually can't and so therefore they make their reputation look bad by not being able to deliver a high quality product uh, mine's about 60%, says Ian. Steve says, a range of services, service offerings, but not explicitly marketed or external facing. Interesting, yeah. So um, that's not necessarily a bad thing as well. So you can bring people who think that they want something, but actually you and I both know, Steve, and it's not only in the tech uh, space that you're in, but it's definitely highlighted there, that most people actually have no idea what they want until they start talking to you. And then you realize that they want something entirely different than what they're telling you. That's why youism is important. So to have a place whereby you can fully customize from a base, I think is quite a good thing to consider going forward. Let's move on, because we've got a lot of topics I want to cover this morning. In the, in the mailer that went out, I said we were going to look at profiling, because profiling is very much about people's independent philosophies the way they see the world and so profiling to me is the art of understanding personality but i want to share with you where it came from so it literally came from five thousand years ago the first profiling was done in uh inside of the book the I ching spoken about it before uh commissioned by emperor fu he in the year 3114 bc so it's a five thousand year old body of work that um, was morphed and changed over the thousands of years. In fact, uh, 1,500 years after the book was written, that it was re-edited by Confucius. But it's in there is the art of understanding personality as aligned with the art of understanding the natural world. So, for instance, my personality from the I Ching is thunder. So... You know, there are 64 hexagrams. We'll get into that a little bit more in a, in a minute in the I Ching. And each of those have a representation of something on earth. Thunder, valley, river, cloud. You get the idea. So mine is thunder. Um, so a lot of rumbling goes on here, but not much lightning. You don't have to worry about that. So when Carl Jung became uh, disengaged with being the understudy to Sigmund Freud many, many years ago, um, he went out on his own and he went to China and he met with a man called Richard Wilhelm. And Richard Wilhelm had finished writing the first transcription of the I Ching, the Book of Changes for the West. Richard Wilhelm was German as, as Jung was from that part of the world as well. And Jung realized at that point that 
the I Ching was describing people's personalities. And so he wrote the first papers on personality profiling, which then became adopted into um, some of the things you see the left there on the screen. Myers-Briggs, the DISC personality profiles, wealth dynamics, and four colors. So if you've ever done any of those personality profiles, they're actually based on the work of Carl Jung and based on the I Ching. But uh, fascinatingly, um, the original use of personality profiles was during uh, the First World War, even before Jung wrote uh, his body of work. And that was to find out who were the bravest soldiers so that they could put them in the front and, uh, and lead the charges. That was the original personality profiling, like a lot of these things that's come out of the military. However, um, there are personality profiles uh, that were not attached to the I Ching. I'll just read Ian's comment here. Marcus Buckingham was quoting some research on cave paintings 50,000 years ago. Each hunting team member was depicted with different animal totems and other individual personality traits. That's fantastic feedback, Ian. Thank you so much for that. So moving away from the I Ching as such, um, you have the Enneagram, which really came out of not a body of work, but out of research from... A number of people and then you have interaction dynamics which is something that we've developed and we've spent 10 years developing it we've never launched it to the general public yet um, it's still in beta but we've been working with universities on it and that really comes out of fundamental science and uh, and Egyptian philosophy rather than Chinese philosophy so you get to see that different ways of personality profiling show different things so Myers-Briggs DISC, for instance, very, very focused on um, your personality at work, whereas Wealth Dynamics is focused on your greatest pathway to create your wealth. Four Colors is just a general personality profile. Um, the Enneagram is more about who you are. And Interaction Dynamics is about the ways in which you interact with your communities, whether they be at home or in business, et cetera, et cetera. So profiling, I want to share some basic tips on profiling today just to help you understand. I'm going to use um, a very simple profiling system that comes out of the I Ching. And uh, the person who I think is the best in the world at this is Alison Mooney. It's really her system. She's from New Zealand. She's been teaching this, written books about it uh, for many, many years and a very close personal friend of, of Landy's and mine. And the four ones uh, she calls are the four Ps, the powerful person, the playful person, the peaceful person, and the precise person. So I just want to give you some indications because you'll understand when you're dealing with this person. Now, the powerful person, um, you know, Lundy says you never see a, a, a mafia boss with a desk at a co-working space. They're a powerful person. They have big desks, offices, they make statements, they dress powerfully, be seen, etc. Um, they're very firm handshakers. They look you in the eye. Time is of the essence to these people. They're very, very time focused. And so you'll be able to tell them because they're very quick. They're very quick decision makers. They don't like to muck around and they don't like to waste time. So this is their predominant trait. But guess what? I'm guilty. My predominant trait is a powerful. Uh, if you think I'm sort of like really direct now, you should have seen me in corporate. 
or in a boardroom. That's a bit, uh, that's sort of at another level. I don't like to waste time. I like to get to the point. Um, I don't like a lot of stuff around me. I'm not a clutterer at all. Uh, I live in a fairly austere environment. Um, you know, for instance, if you come and visit my desk, as Kirsten will tell you, I've, gen I've generally got a laptop and a diary on it and some highlighters. That's about it. So that's very typical of a powerful person, quick to make decisions. Time is of the essence to them. Very, very sure about where they're going. Let's move over to the playful person. Here he is sitting in his swimming pool. Um, I notice uh, if you're on MailChimp, they're using this guy uh, at the moment as, uh, as an advertisement on MailChimp as well. But like this is the typical playful. Cocktail in hand, doesn't care about the world, just wants to party. They're social bunnies. He'd rather do work in a pool where he can have a few drinks, sunbathe, and meet some you know, pretty girls than sit in, a, in an office. That's the social person. This is the person who's gregarious. They're often, um, they're often a little bit messy, to be quite honest. And this is the person that really you know, can have a trail of destruction going along behind them, but everybody loves them. And you know, you'll definitely know and see those people. They're often the loudest in the room. Ian, I know you're on the call there. You've got a past president of PSASA who recently retired that's definitely a playful. So, um, you know, that's exactly the type of person. They often dress really flamboyantly as well, or they have a signature style like this guy does in the photo here. So they're the playful. Let's move on to the peaceful. This photo sort of sums up the peaceful. They're at one with the world. They're very relationship-based. Not necessarily social. They're more family-orientated. They love their children, love their pets, um, love their trees, love their gardens. You know, they've got close-knit friends. They're very slow to change. They don't like change. Change really freaks them out. Um, culture and longevity and lastingness is really important to these people. They want the world to be at peace. And then we have our fourth person here, the precise person. This person, often you'll see their, their office is full of charts and reports and books and their university degrees and all of that sort of thing is on the world. You know, they're, they're constantly calculating things and reading reports. And, and when you're dealing with these people, it's really easy to identify them very quickly. A powerful person will often shake your hand with a very strong grip with their hand over yours. Whereas a playful person will sort of slap you on the back, laugh, kiss you on the cheek, etc. A peaceful person will often have a, a more softer handshake, but their palm will be up. So they'll be a little bit subservient in that like. And the precise person will struggle to, to look at you, maybe uh, not have much of a handshake at all because... They're too in their head. They're too thinking about what they've got to do and the systems and the processes and things like this. So in selling to these people, which is really useful feedback to give you all, the powerful person wants to save time. They just want to get there. The playful person has big dreams and big goals. You've got to sell into, into their big dreams. The peaceful person is all about relationships. This is the long-term sale. This is the five touch points before you sell them. And the precise person is all about the facts and figures and having everything right. So just keep that in mind as you're moving through and working with these people. It's really good to have a fundamental knowledge of 
you know, profiling, personality styles, and the way people interact. If you don't have this, then you're very, very likely to uh, to make everybody try and fit into the same box. And you'll wonder why you're losing sales. And um, then you'll actually, from wondering why you're losing sales, you 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 or your sales pitch. It's not the case. It's about the way in which you use your sales pitch. So there's a number of you on this call that I've designed sales pitches with you. So, you know, when you're giving those to an audience, you're going to have all of these different types in the room. And depending on which country in the world you are in, you're going to have um, more of these types, you know, ethnically than anywhere else. For instance, you're in China, you're going to have a lot more precises. If you're in India, you're going to have a lot more precises. If you're in New Zealand, you're going to have a lot more peacefuls. If you're in uh, Italy, you're going to be having a lot more playfuls. And if you're in America, you're going to be having a lot more powerfuls. So just keep that in mind as well as when you're going through this. Um, I want to also let you know, just before we move on to the next thing, there's going to be plenty of times for questions and stuff like that. Um, but when people get under stress... And we have seen a lot of stress in the last couple of years uh, through business and through what's been happening in the world at the moment. And when people get under this immense stress, if you look at these four uh, powerful, playful, peaceful and precises in the square, if you can see this on the screen and not listening to the recording on our, on our podcast, then what happens is that they will naturally under pressure go to their diagonal opposite. So the powerful under immense pressure will become incredibly peaceful, zen out and build relationships. And I know at times in my life where I've been under immense pressure, I will go to relationship building and I will go to um, essentially, you know, just acceptance, zenning out, etc. The playful person will become incredibly precise. So this guy sitting in his swimming pool here, you know, chewing on his cocktail and everything, he's going to be the one that starts to dot the I's and crosses the T's on the legal contract. And you go, why is he acting like this? It's because he's under tremendous pressure. Whereas the precise, the person who's always done the facts and figures and the numbers and read all the research is going to go, oh, hang it, let's just do this and go to the pub. And you're going to go, I've never seen that from that person before. And the peaceful person's going to put their foot down and become incredibly powerful. That's going to be the, the, you know, the little old lady that stamps their foot and says, enough is enough. So I want you to keep this in mind. Maybe take a screenshot or something if you've got this. Um, so if you haven't done any deep profiling work, this is a really good tool. And you can go back through this recording as well and make some notes from from anything that I've said there, it's going to be useful for you. And the idea here is that when you meet somebody for the first time, cold turkey, and you've got that first 15 seconds where you make your impression the first 15 seconds, what I'm doing subconsciously, and I do it because I've done so much of this work now, is my subconscious goes, oh, they're a playful. So I'll match and mirror them and become more playful. Oh, or they're a precise. So I'll get into my detailed mode and pull my natural aggressiveness back they're peaceful i'll definitely pull my natural aggressiveness back i remember when i was financial planning in my 20s and 
you know, I was incredibly uh, in my powerful zone at that stage there. And, uh, you know, I'd go into somebody's office and I'd see photos of their wife, their kids, and, you know, they've got kids' toys there and everything like that. They're obviously peaceful. I'd virtually came to the point where I realized I wasn't going to be able to do business with them because they were going to want to build relationships and talk about the children and, you know, how nice the weather is. And I just wanted to do business. You know, I didn't want to build a relationship. I just wanted to do business because that was my natural way. But if I walked into an office, strangely, where there are lots of textbooks and charts and everything like that, I go, aha, I have a precise. So I actually enjoy precises. So I could take a little longer to get into facts and figures, which, as you guys know, I'm easily able to recall that's in my psyche. And I know where to find this evidentially as well. And that can really help them get on side very quickly. And playfuls were easy. Playfuls, you just tell them, you know, they're going to be the next person who, who lands on the moon or, you know, you're going to be drinking with them for the rest of your life. And and essentially, they'll love you. So <laughs> no offense, playfuls. But uh, so having this fundamental understanding of who these different really profiles are is really going to help you before you get into the broader ones, because these, um, for instance, in interaction dynamics, play out into four different areas. Um, and so there's actually, we have 12 profiles. Wealth Dynamics has eight. Uh, I think the Enneagram has 10 or something like that. So uh, more distinct profiles here. I wanted to talk to you about more about the I Ching, though, and encourage some of you to look into it. It's a very, very deep book. It's not for the faint-hearted. You know, it's, um, it's definitely written uh, 5,000 years ago, and it will take you... Uh, a long time to fully appreciate the work. But I want you to know that there's something that these ancient Chinese, ancient Sumerians, ancient Egyptians knew about our modern world that we're only just starting to remember. When <clears throat> In the 1950s, when Watson and Crick first discovered DNA and they wrote the document that eventually led them to get a Nobel, Nobel Prize, um, for discovering that we had this crazy thing called DNA, um, they thought that they'd found something amazing. They thought that they'd found a universal program, you know, something that they called the double helix, the, the positive or the minor, the negative energy of the double helix, you know, and the four components of DNA, adenine, thiamine, cytosine, and uh, guanine. And then, of course, um, when you put three of those together, you have the code for protein synthesis. This is what they discovered in the 50s and went deeper into it in the 60s. And then now we know there are 64 strands in, in DNA. And, you know, if you put two triplets together, you have the beginning and the end of DNA. That's what they found out. But guess what? The I Ching already knew this 5,000 years ago. And there was a fantastic book that I've got uh, in my library in New Zealand. Um, that was written about 20 years ago by a guy who fully researched uh, Watson and Crick's um, research and aligned it with stuff out of the I Ching. And uh, I don't remember what the book was called. You can probably Google it. But uh, essentially what it says in that book is that, you know, whereas DNA was seen to be a universal program, the I Ching is one program, and it's the program of the way in which the world and our universe works. So it's essentially the same thing. Um, 
in the I Ching is based on yin and yang. The uh, the yang is a full line, and the yin is two lines, like a dotted line. And so that's the same as the positive or the negative in the double helix. Um, the four components of DNA, the, the thiamine, etc., in the I Ching, that's called resting yang, uh, moving yang. So, you know, you can either be at rest or you can be moving. The wind can either be at rest or it can move. Resting yin or moving yin. Uh, yang is the male, yin is the female, for those of you that have not heard of this before. Then if you put three of the, uh, the DNAs together, you get a protein synthesis. And if you put three of the yangs and yins together, you get what's called a trigram, which is the whole basis of the I Ching. So, and the basis of the I Ching is, is trigrams. So it's, it's how it works. It's how you think it's the binary code. If you look at computers, the, the binary code, the one and the zero, that's what we're talking about here. And that can be found in all forms of life and all numbers and the way everything works on the planet. And whereas the DNA is strictly horizontal, the I Ching is strictly vertical. So it's also just one system. And guess what? 64 strands in, the, uh, in DNA. You have 64 hexagrams, which is two trigrams put together. And that's the basis of all of the personalities, if you like, and all the ways of seeing the world. So when I say I'm thunder, thunder is one of 64 um, components of the physical world as discovered by the ancient Chinese 5,000 years ago. A valley is another one. A mountain is another one. A river is another one. So when you look at these things, a cloud is another one. So when you look at these, and that's all based around, of course, based around the five elements. But when you look at the DNA, the triplet, it's called the beginning and the end. Two trichrams are called before and after completion. And they give you two sets of insights because a lot of the I Ching is used in uh, fortune telling. But more importantly than fortune telling, I think, is the fact that it's used to tell your personalities and the way in which your personalities are, which is why Jung took from the I Ching to create essentially um, to create essentially your personality profile. I see your question there, Rowan. Um, yes, you're, we are a combination of all of those four personality profiles that I shared with you before. So, you know, whilst my sort of number one is a powerful, these days, as I've got older, my number two has become a peaceful. In my 40s, it used to be a playful. Um, it's had a strong precise in me as well. But probably my playful is my lowest at the moment at this stage of my life. Um, whereas Lundy is a playful, powerful, but she doesn't exhibit all the things of, of a playful. She's certainly not messy. She's very, very tidy. You know, she's more tidy than I am. So she's very precise in those aspects as well. Um, but she's also got peaceful in her also. But I have not seen the balance. Um, she's probably fairly close to being in the middle, but... Her playful side is definitely her, her number one side. So you will have a basis of all of these, just as in the I Ching, if you choose to investigate it, you will have a basis of all of the 64 hexagrams as well, but just some of them will be more relevant than others. Thanks for the question. Let's move on. This is something I haven't shared for a number of years. I wrote about it in 
uh, my 2010 book, What If You Were God? So it's uh, you know, 12 years old, this technology. But uh, And there's a, there's a lot of stuff behind this, but I wanted to give you a framework for this to help you understand what you come across um, from a youism perspective in your daily lives, in your business and with clients and with people that uh, hang around your world. So they're called, it's called soul notes. And it comes to the, the fundamental basis that all matter comes from light and all light comes from sound. And I've said that to you before on this call. That's the fundamental basis of quantum physics. So nothing in the universe exists except sound. And sound creates light and light creates matter. So the reason you're looking out your window and seeing a tree in front of you or you're sitting at a computer is because of sound. So sound is vibration. And Pythagoras discovered what we call the, the 12 Western notes of sound. And you can see them there. So on the left-hand side, C and then C sharp or D flat. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of why there are two there. They're exactly the same note. Um, it just depends on nuances of music as to which one you use. Um, D and then D sharp or E flat. E, there is no E sharp or E flat. So it goes straight to F, F sharp, G flat, G, G sharp, A flat, A, A sharp, B flat, then on to the B. And then there is no sharps or flats on a B, uh, sorry, on the C. So, so therefore you move straight to the, between the B and the C. So that gives you your 12 notes. So that means that if you put 12 people in a room and each of them have a different soul note, then one of them will be a C, one of them will be, say, a C sharp, the next one will be a D, the next one will be a D sharp, so on and so forth. And you could literally line them up. And energetically, your soul understands this. It understands this relationship. So then if we look at a major scale in music, so it's incredibly technical, but hopefully I'm just going to give you some without making it too technical, and uh, you can shoot some questions at me. I'm just going to give you the basis of how this works. Now, um, I have to tell you in this that this is no one else's research bar my own, but I've talked to lots of um, shaman, musicians, spiritual leaders, and things like that in the last 12 years about this, and all of them think that it's 100% true, but none of them have thought of it this way. But I want to make it, I like practical spirituality. And so as we go through these calls that we have every week with you, we have a couple of guests during the month. We have Landy doing uh, one part of the Octopus program that we have, which is a very big program. And then I'm going to share with you some more esoteric, some more spiritual things. And this is one of them as we go through this time. So if you look at a C major scale, and I picked a C, it can be any scale, um, but I picked a C because it has no sharps and flats. So it takes the takes the the complexity out of it for the non-musicians non so a c major scale has the notes that you see there c d e f g a b and c so it's seven notes and then it's eight notes if you include the octave of the c from the bottom c on a piano to the the c above it so that's how a scale works so if you're playing a piece of music in the scale of c it will not have any of the sharps or flats or if you're playing it on a piano, you won't be hitting the black keys. That's how it works. So that's very simple. We can understand it. So let's just say, for instance, that your soul note, your fundamental resonance of your being this lifetime is C. 
And so you're resonating at a certain frequency. I won't go into the frequencies. That'll just confuse the heck out of you. But in there, you want to build a team. And you want that team in your business to be a good team. The team that is going to work with you best is C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. So those notes, those human beings with those soul notes are going to work with you the best. You're going to feel the most and the most aligned with those people. Now, in there, to break this down a little bit further for anybody who's a musician or knows any fundamental music theory here, if you look at a C major chord, if you ever hear a chord, which is like three notes put together, played on a piano, a guitar, or, or any musical instrument, that chord, a major chord in C, will be the notes C, the first, the third, and the fifth, C, E, and G. And if you listen to any of the great harmonies by the Beatles or the, the Beach Boys or an a cappella band, they'll generally be using a major chord sequence in their harmonies. So if you um, if you listen to the, any Beatles songs like Help, for instance, they'll be singing in the choruses will be C, E and G, providing the songs written in C. It'll be the first, the third and the fifth note. I see in the, the chat here a question. I'll come to that shortly. And so those three will be your strongest. So when you're interviewing, when you're bringing people into your team, the people you resonate with the strongest are likely to be other Cs because they're just like you. But that could be a problem, okay, just because they might be a higher C than you, resonate at a higher vibration and actually challenge you on so many levels. They could be an E or a G. But what's not going to work for you is a C and a C sharp so or a D flat. So if you look at the picture on the left there, you'll see straight above the C on the black key, you have a C sharp or a D flat. If somebody comes into your environment with that note and you just got to go to a piano or, you know, um, go to a go to Google and, and Google C and C sharp played together and you'll hear there's a certain um, dissonance. It doesn't quite work musically. It makes you sort of shudder a little bit. Now, that can be quite effective musically and in songs, of course, but from a soul note perspective, it's not gelling. Yet, if we looked at other musical scales, you'll see, for instance, if we looked at the scale of uh, A, you'll see that a C sharp is actually the third note in A scale. So if your soul note is A, a C sharp is going to work very, very well with you. This, folks, without getting any more technical than this, is the reason why some of your friends tell you that somebody is a great guy or great girl and you meet them and you just don't get them. You just don't feel it. You feel there's something wrong. They've been raving, oh, you have to meet Sue. She's so wonderful. I love her so much. You're going to really love her, et cetera, et cetera. And you meet Sue and you go, I don't get it. You know, yeah, she's all right, but I certainly don't want her around me, right? That's not because there's anything wrong with Sue. That's because her soul note doesn't fit in any of your major scales. And there are many modes of music and many different scales, but the ones that sound best to us are the major and minor scales, major seventh, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore that C and that C sharp, and there are other notes that will be of less resonance to you. So I guess that begs the question of how do you put a team together from soul notes? Let's go to the questions. 
Rowan, uh, one, four, and five. That is chords in the key, minus two, three, and six. Very, very technical, Rowan, but you're quite right in what you're saying there. Um, so we're not going to go into that, but thank you for your feedback. Uh, I love the technical musicians on here. And one of these days, when I finally retire, I may go and do a musical uh, degree myself because most of the people I follow play from here, except I follow one guy who's totally uh, a, a music technician. And that's um, that's where I get a lot of my technical stuff from, which is far more technical than, than what Rowan's put there. But let's not get too confusing. I want to keep it relatively simple. So we have these things that if you have within us that make us not feel comfortable in certain people's spaces and we can't understand why. Now, our decision needs to be come down to is it because they're actually not a good person? So, you know, sometimes people are blindsided by charisma, and that's also because of soul notes and things like this as well, um, allows us to be more blindsided by charisma than other things. But for the most part, where it's normal people and people are good, if you don't resonate with somebody, don't bring them into your team. Don't onboard them as a client. They're going to steal energy from you because you're going to try current constantly try to move them into harmony and it's going to be almost impossible for you to push a c sharp into a d or back to a c and move them into harmony so that's not going to work for you so i would say to you the learning here that i wanted to share with you on soul notes just before we jump into questions in the last 10 or so minutes of our call is to really share with you that these things exist at a fundamental quantum level on the planet and because of that, um, that we shouldn't be judging ourselves on a material view of saying, I need the money, so I'm going to take on this person who I obviously don't resonate with, and I'm just going to bully my way through it to get a result. Or number two, I am you know, going to join and follow this person because everybody else says that they're good, even though I'm not totally resonating with them. The answer is just don't do that. There are enough people out there and enough people that will resonate with you. And I think when you look at you and my final comment before going to the chat and going to questions, when we look at you, who is becoming more unique in the modern world, um, now is the time to appreciate everybody's differences more. Now is the time to celebrate the big hairy guys and you know, all the different genders that are coming out now and the way in which people want to live now and whether they want to be vaccinated or not, let's put that one on the table. You know, whether they're on the far left or far right or in the middle, whether they're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, whatever. Now is the time to celebrate those differences and for us to step into that more and more and more. And it takes me back and a good way to finish this is when Lundy and I were in Mongolia in 2018, and we were a, a long way from anywhere. Don't even ask me to find this on the map of Mongolia because, you know, it's not easy to travel around Mongolia. There are very few roads. You drive literally across grasslands and over mountains. But we were sitting in a gur and we were sitting there um, with, a, uh, with a native shaman. And we were asking him questions. There was a translator. Um, going backwards and between us. And Landy asked him the question of, 
Should there be one religion? And should shamanism be the one religion on the planet? Is that what you feel? And his answer was interesting. His answer said, absolutely not. He said that um, the beauty on the planet is everybody's incredible differences in their face, in what they do, in the way in which they see the world and how they interact with the world. And what we should do and our role as human beings is, is to understand, appreciate and balance with everybody who has different opinions than us and wanting to do things differently than us rather than to try to bring them to one view. And I think that's really what the point of viewism is. And we're definitely in the middle of it now as I uh, record this this talk for you. And I want to send you away, those of you that are heading off on a holiday for a few days, to really contemplate um, respecting and allowing the differences in yourself, in your family, in your clients, and in your colleagues as well, and working out ways in which you can appreciate people, get to understand them a lot faster, maybe through understanding profiling a little bit better and where they're coming from, and then being able to provide more customized youism type of solutions for them. So with that, let's uh, let's go to the chat and see what comments uh, that we have here. How do you, Philippe? How do you start when building a team? The answer very clearly is you start with the profile first. So if you look at our team right at the moment, um, the team that you know, Philippe, you have Mike. He's probably more of a powerful. You have um, Landy, who is more of a playful. You have Kirsten, who is more of a peaceful, which is what Nicola before her was. And you have Esther, who's more of a precise. So our team is pretty spread around there. So one of the things is um, you don't want to recruit people who are like you because that's not going to help your business. You want to recruit people who are quite different from you. And although that may seem frustrating from time to time initially, because you want people to move faster if you're a powerful, or you want people to be more sociable if you're um, a playful, or you want people to be quieter and not as you know, flustered if you're a peaceful. The, the result of having different people in your team creates a better team and a stronger team first. So the way I would say that, and a quick example of that, Philippe, when I was in corporate, one of the reasons I left corporate is because sitting around the boardroom table, eight senior managers, including myself and the CEO, nine of us, I realized that I was the only different person. And at that stage, I was a powerful, playful. They were my two types. Everybody else was a precise impossible to get anything done in that situation so here's my tip for you and it's a great question Philippe so thanks for that um, is to recruit and build the team based on a profile that has the right CV not on a CV first so instead of looking at CVs look at the type and style of person which is why doing group interviews so that you can see who you've got there is actually really really useful Okay, let's go to Rowan. I play by ear and by uh, and by felling. That is the basis of my technical knowledge. Helps when I'm trying to work out songs in a specific key. 
yeah, I play by ear too. And yeah, uh, it takes me a while to work out songs in a specific key, but I just know the patterns in my fingers and head. Steve, uh, great to see you on the call. How do the Solnates correlate to the 4, 4P model? Um, they Anybody in any of the personalities can be any of the notes. So what you find out, so think of it as a matrix. That'll be a good way for you to think, think about it, is that um, if you get somebody as a piece for, they can be any of those musical notes. So that makes your, your selection, if you go back to Philippe's question, more complex in building your team. And that's the reason why, you know, people make mistakes. And particularly, I'm not talking about large corporates because they don't have the time, the energy, or even the knowledge or the skills to even start thinking about this for most of them. But we do. We do as smaller businesses. So you have to be prepared, Steve, when you're recruiting and training people as part of your team, whether they be... Um, consultants that you're going to work with or people that are going to be in your case programmers that you you know you're going to be paying that have a lot to do with you but aren't necessarily you know uh, full-time employees or for some of you have full-time employees you have to be prepared to go through a few iterations of the recruiting process not go through one and go wow these are the you know all these people are qualified and I like this one best so I'm gonna I think that's why you end up with problems the person you recruit may not be the person that you like the best initially. Um, and the reason why is because you may be recruiting to somebody who's just like you. In other words, recruiting another playful, for instance, because, wow, they're cool. They're, they're energetic. They're fun. I'm a playful too. So, or, oh, they're really precise. I like how much detail they're in, et cetera, et cetera. Now I know you've got to have a certain uh, amount of detail. Nobody wants a playful, um, you know, airline captain who says, hey, let's do a couple of twists in this plane as we're flying to Dubai. Nobody's into that, but, uh, well, some of people may be. And uh, nobody wants a playful neurosurgeon. But, uh, but also that's why neurosurgeons and airline pilots are generally peaceful precises. They're generally that type of person. Um, a lot of, of high-level doctors are very precise. That's why they don't have people skills. Um, so... It's an overlay. And so that adds a complexity, but that complexity means the more you understand about profiling, the better suited you'll be. Um, profile first, thanks, Philippe. Um, thanks, Mike, running to a new client. Feeling, okay, I got that. Yeah, feeling is the, is the right word. That's what I thought you meant, Rowan. So with that, I think we've come to the end of our questions. If anybody's got any final question, um, pop them in. But uh, from that, I just wanna say thank you all for being on the call today. And uh, I wish everybody a season. And uh, just to let you know, that for those of you, the next call uh, is going to be a phenomenal call. We've got uh, Anthony Lassiani from uh, Sweden. Uh, and uh, he is uh, one of our Circle of Excellence clients. And uh, he's also somebody who is uh, probably the best in Europe in what he does. And he's going to be talking to you about what's happening um, with employment at the moment, what's happening in getting people to communicate together through teams. So it's a nice leverage from the more esoteric space that I've talked about this week into the more practical space for next, uh, next Tuesday. We'll see you all then. Have a safe and happy time. And thanks for listening.